Amen. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, team. And team, let me encourage you to hop on Facebook Live and just so many shouts out, give, shout outs given to you guys and uh, for your faithfulness in serving the Lord right now. And thank you for doing that. Thank you for encouraging them. And thank you for joining us in uh, the uh, continued non-conventional way um, of worship this morning, but indeed worship. Um, this morning, I, I sent a text early to Craig Walker. Craig's in our church, and Craig has a lot of, uh, of uh, plants that he has uh, uh, got in the ground, and he uh, went and actually covered every single one of them up with, I think he said, 450 cups that he put over them to protect them. And uh, when he and I were talking about this this week, uh, the words coming out of Craig's mouth, and so many of you who have crops and different things with this uh, cold weather that came through were, were, I hope it really doesn't get as cold as they say it's going to. I hope things don't freeze. That word hope is the way we use hope almost all the time. And it is uh, a normal way of saying hope kind of in our world and in our life. Uh, there are things that we hope happen. Uh, and these things that we hope happen, it, it means that uh, we wish they would. Or if we hope they don't, we wish they wouldn't. But the word hope in Scripture is not that at all. As a matter of fact, the word hope in Scripture, uh, if you look at the definition across theology texts and commentaries, uh, it's two words confident expectation. Confident expectation. I can say I hope it doesn't freeze, but I don't have much confidence in that. Uh, We call that wishful thinking. But if I say I hope uh, that God, I can have confident expectation. Thus the word Thus, the word uh, faithful and this song and how good it is. And so this morning, uh, launch a series called Hope, and from uh, Romans 5, 1 through 5, great verses of hope. And from these few verses, we're going to quickly look into uh, three principles, three truths about hope. One is we have hope because of what Jesus has already done. Look at this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. That word justified means declared righteous. Let me give you a layman's definition of justification. Just as if you had never sinned, just as if we had always obeyed. That's justification in the negative, just as if we had never sinned. Justification in the positive, just as if you had always obeyed. Jesus' blood shed on the cross is so powerful, so effective, that when Jesus died for you, his blood shed for you, when you receive Christ, his blood so covers your sin that instantaneously, at the point of salvation, at the point of being saved, being born again, whatever phrase uh, you use, whatever metaphor comes to your mind to describe what it means to go from darkness to light, at that point, at that point, you are just as if you had never sinned and just as if you had always obeyed. He sees us, God, as he sees his son. He sees us as he sees his son. We will never in this life be able to see ourselves like that. 
We cannot. We see ourselves often as the sum total of failures and, and, and near misses and almosts. We don't see ourselves as God sees us. And therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. Peace, meaning we don't have to wonder where we stand with God. When you are born again, when you're saved, when you come to God by faith in Christ, you have peace. Look at how it came through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus gets the glory. Jesus is why he, this is why Jesus is the center of attention here on a Sunday morning. This is why when all of heaven is assembled together, we will sing a song to him as all of the redeemed from all of history because all of this happened through him. In heaven, I am convinced we will understand like we have never understood before. The price Jesus paid just to leave heaven and come to earth, let alone to die the awful death he died. I just don't think we'll ever get it now. We sang a a take on an old hymn just a little bit ago, My Hope is Built. That old hymn was written uh, most likely in 1834 by Edward Moat. Edward is a most unlikely hymn writer. He grew up in, the, uh, in, in an ungodly family. They were uh, alcoholics, and they did not raise him to know the Lord, and they uh, sent him out early in his preteens to become a cabinet builder, apprenticed him. But it was at the age of 15 that Moat came to faith in Christ, He tells the story that one day he is on his way to his cabinet shop. He became quite good at building cabinets. And one one day he's on his way to his cabinet shop when these words came to his mind and he thought, I'd love to write a song. I'd love to write a hymn, a song about the grace of God. And the phrase, my hope is built on nothing less Then Jesus' blood and righteousness came to his mind. He went on about his work, and through the day, the words came to him, and he would build and write and build and write. He wrote other hymns, but this is the one for which he is known. I love this. When he was 55, he became a pastor. Not as a young 15-year-old, not as a 20-year-old. At the age of 55, he became a pastor and pastored for 21 years, a Baptist church for 21 years. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest, the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. That's what he wrote. We have hope because of what Jesus has already done. He has already died for us. But secondly, we have hope because of what Jesus is still doing. Look at verse 2. Through him also, Jesus, we have obtained access by faith 
into this grace in which we stand. That's present tense. If we are justified, if God views us as if we had always obeyed or as if we had never sinned, then how do we live in light of that? We have access. This word access is only used three times in Scripture, and all three times it is used, it refers to access to God the Father. Let me uh, share the other two times. They're found in Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 3. For through him, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit, capital S, to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. There's such vivid imagery there. We are members of the family of God. We have access 3.12 of Ephesians, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. What do these three references have in common? Through him also, that's Romans 5, through him, that's Ephesians 2, in whom, that's Ephesians 3, all point to Jesus. I want to say something to you this morning. You need to hear this. You need to hold on to this. This needs to become more than ever your saying, your mantra, your declaration. If there is any hope, if there is any help, it is in Jesus. There are so many things that are floating out there these days. There are so many people wondering and some people spreading lies and others wondering about what the truth is. I do not know a lot. There are so many things I do not know, I have not studied, I just simply do not know. But one thing I can tell you is this, my life and all that matters about it is because of Jesus Christ. It is because of what he did 2,000 years ago on the cross. It is the reason I live. It is the reason I move. It is the reason I stand before you here this morning. It is the reason that Alan Michael will stand before you on Wednesday. Wednesday night. It is the reason we sing. It is the reason we exist. It is the reason that we're building a building. It is the reason that we do what we do. It is for him. It is because of him. It is through him. We are who we are because Jesus did what he did and because he is doing what he is doing. There is no other name, there is no higher name, there is no greater claim to fame than to say, we have been born again by the precious blood of Jesus who died for us on the cross, who rose three days later, who ascended 50 days later, and who one day is coming back, and when he does, all who know him, all who know him will bow, all who do not know him will bow, but all who know him in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb will sing a song that the angels will have to step back because they cannot sing and we'll be able to sing at that point. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It is him. It is all because of him. It is all through him. We, apart from him, as John said, are nothing. I cannot emphasize that enough today. We have hope because of what Jesus is still doing. 
He has made a way for us into the holy of holies. This week when you meet in your life groups, this is where you'll drill down. Two questions. You can go ahead and be thinking about them now. What has Jesus already done for us? And question number two, what is Jesus doing now? So when you gather, as hundreds of you do, every single week, virtually, now some of you are meeting outside, however you're meeting, these are your questions. What has Jesus already done for us? I hope in your meeting that it's a shouting good time. I really do. How do we have this access? How did it happen? Let's just look at it technically, historically. When Jesus died on the cross, the gospel writers record that the veil was torn in two. What veil? Well, if you could travel back in time and see the old temple, you would discover that there was a holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. There the presence of God dwelt. Once a year, the high priest would go in on the Day of Atonement and offer sacrifice for the sins for for an entire year, a year's worth of sins. Only he, only the high priest could go behind that veil into that holy place. Only he could do that. And he would offer that sacrifice. But when Jesus died, that veil was ripped in two. Scripture says from top to bottom, the gospel writers record. There was an earthquake. The sun went dark. And the veil was torn in two from top to bottom, meaning that no one, of course, the the veil was nine inches thick, that curtain. No one could have physically torn it in two, but top to bottom it was. And and Jesus said, come in. It's like opening the door to the Father's house. Paul writing in Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, Paul says, Jesus died, broke down this curtain between us and the holy presence of God. Reminds me, I labor every week to know how can I best describe this in other ways outside of Scripture so you get it. I've shared this story before. I just couldn't think of anything better. It reminds me of the story of a, of a kid who was waiting on the city bus. And so he was waiting at a place where there is no sign that says bus stop. And an old man approaches him, an older man, and says, son, you know the bus doesn't stop here. The bus stop is down there. And the boy looks at him and says, oh, no, no, the bus, the bus will stop here. And the old man says, no, son, see that sign down there? It says bus stop. And the son respectfully says, no, no, it, it's, it's going to stop here. And here comes the bus. And sure enough, it gets right to where the boy is standing. It comes to a screeching halt. The doors open And the boy steps up onto the bus, and he looks around at the older man, and he says with a smile on his face, the bus driver is my daddy. When Jesus died on the cross, he opened the way not only to the house of God, but you can't miss this. He opened the way to the heart of God. 
God just doesn't say, come enjoy what I have. He says, come enjoy me. And Paul says, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We, we've yet to see that in its fullness. Oh, I think the, the day when we can gather back here in multiple services to worship the Lord, I think that day is going to be heavenly and glorious. But we've yet to see the glory of Jesus. The glory of Jesus. I said last week we are becoming who we already are. That's hope. We are becoming who we already are. Third, we have hope because of what suffering is doing. Maybe this is so fitting on Mother's Day. Verse 3 says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance character and character produces hope. Key word there is knowing, not feeling. All right, so, so not many people feel good about suffering. And if you do, it is only because of two things. One, maybe you're a little twisted in your mind, or two, Maybe you know so well the benefit of that, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance character and character hope. I don't need to define those words. You really know what they mean. I want to pause here just by point of application and say something to parents and grandparents. I think we have a tendency in in our day to shield our kids from all kinds of suffering If you think a teacher's unfair to your kid, you're going to run and defend your kid. If you think somebody does this or somebody does that, we just have a tendency to overprotect. Can I say something to you as moms and dads? Your kids need to suffer a little. They need to know that life is hard, that it isn't always easy, that there are going to be unfair things that happen. If you protect your kid from every possible place of suffering, you will produce a son or a daughter who cannot function in this world. You will produce a son or a daughter who cannot handle life because, as you know, suffering is real and suffering has real effect. It is valuable. We should never seek it out, but we also should not be terrified by it. Our daughter Hannah played college volleyball, so did Christina, who's on our staff. And every year, inevitably, this happened. Before every single season, they would have the preseason workouts. Hannah would have to show up to college early. Day one, Hannah threw up. Day one. For whatever reason, she felt compelled to send us pictures. Don't know why. Every year, we get a picture I threw up. I reached out to Hannah this week, and I said, Hannah, what were some of those workouts you had to do that just destroyed you? So she sent me some pictures. This one was for speed. All of this was to build their their speed. So this is a rotation they would do. Uh, They would have to do uh, a 1,000-meter run, followed by 30 burpees, followed by 30 single-arm dumbbells clean, followed by 30-something that's covered up that I can't read, followed by another 1,000-meter run, 
oh, followed by 30 box jumps, another 1,000-meter run, 30 more box jumps, 30 more single-arm dumbbells clean, 30 more burpees, and another 1,000-meter run. That was one rotation. No wonder she was so sick. But one of the things we realized, we would go watch her team play, especially when she played in Hickory. They could outlast anybody. Anybody. They could run all over the court. They went two seasons undefeated in regular season. Didn't lose a game at all. Didn't lose till they went to the national championship, uh, to, to the national tournament. They, they just, they were in shape. Why? Suffering produced endurance, character, all of those things. Please hear me. Suffering is working. If you will let it work, it will work. You will not know how much you can endure until you have endured all you can. You will not know how much you can endure until you have endured all you can. And so some of you are in the middle of different kinds of suffering right now. It's emotional pain on Mother's Day. That's just different because of your loss, either of your mother or of a child. It is emotional pain because of infertility. It is emotional pain because of the sin that perhaps you committed as a mom. It is emotional pain, as the video shared, because of things perhaps your mom did to you she never should have done, or things she should have done that she didn't do. Can I say something to you this morning? C.S. Lewis talked about suffering being a megaphone. Suffering is vital to your becoming the man or woman that God intends you to be. Verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance character, character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, does not disappoint, because God's love has been poured into our hearts. That word poured means just what it means, distributed largely, just poured. I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you study Scripture, you should always look for this. Any place you see all three members of the Trinity mentioned is special and unique in the Bible. And here is one of them. Verse uh, 5, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, here, the Holy Spirit shows up. Verses 1 through 5, you see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why is that important? Want to touch on this? Perhaps you've never thought of it. If Satan wins in suffering... He will separate you from the love of God. If God wins in suffering, he will saturate you with the love of God. Please hear me. If you're living a separated life right now, either because of orders and different things, Satan will win. If you're leading a saturated life, God will win through your suffering. You say, why? Perhaps you've never thought that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit lived together in perfect and amazing harmony before creation. God needed nothing. Don't ever think that. God needed nothing. He was completely and fully satisfied in his Son, completely and fully satisfied in the Spirit. Imagine the most peaceful house you've ever walked into 
that, that family that you know that when you show up, you just feel like you can relax in their home. Put that on steroids. Make it a million times, and that's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They loved one another deeply, still do. Remarkably close, still are. When Jesus died on the cross, is the closest that has ever come to being threatened. When the father turned his back on his son because his son carried your sin in mind. If that doesn't tell you how, how God pours his love, pours his love, he, he just jeopardized that. He poured his love on you to give you Jesus, to give you his son. That is amazing love. And when Jesus did that, he tore the curtain. Now you see, we're all the way back where we started. He tore the curtain down and he said, come into this. Come into this Father, Son, and Spirit. That's why Paul brilliantly here includes the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We are invited into the most amazing family ever to exist, that of the Godhead, of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, uh, poured love, poured love. He made him to be sin, Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God welcomed in to this. Jesus was rejected by the Father so you would be accepted. He was separated so you would be united. God turned his back on his son so that he could turn his face toward you. Wow. There is no greater love. Becky is going to come and sing a song. It's an old hymn. It's never been sung here before. As a matter of fact, it's a hymn that um, really went out of circulation. It's written by a woman by the name of Anne Steele. And still lived during the time of the great hymn writers, Isaac Watts, William Cooper, John Newton. You could divide those hymn writers, the Wesleys, you could divide all of them into three categories, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, and the Baptists. And still led the charge in writing Baptist hymns. This is one of those. I want to share the words with you before Becky sings it so that as you listen to her, those words will resonate and settle deep. You see, Anne Steele lost her mom when she was only three. She knew suffering. At the age of 19, she had a major debilitating injury she knew suffering. And on the day of her wedding, Anne Steele's fiance drowned. She knew suffering. Wow. It is out of that that she wrote, Dear refuge of my weary soul, on thee when sorrows rise, on thee when waves of trouble roll, my fainting hope relies. 
To thee I tell each rising grief, for thou alone can heal. Thy word can bring a sweet relief for every pain I feel. But oh, when gloomy doubts prevail, I fear to call thee mine. The springs of comfort seem to fail and all my hopes decline. Yet, gracious God, where shall I flee? Thou art my only trust, and still my soul will cleave to thee. Though prostrate in the dust. Hast thou not bid me seek thy face, and shall I seek in vain? And can the ear of sovereign grace be deaf when I complain? No, still the ear of sovereign grace attends the mourner's prayer. Oh, may I ever find access, there's that word, to breathe my sorrows there. Thy mercy seat is open still. Here let my soul retreat with humble hope. Attend thy will and wait beneath thy feet. Thy mercy seat is open still. Here let my soul retreat with humble hope. Attend thy will and wait beneath thy feet. Worship with Becky as she sings this. Then you'll see a video just closing us out with some instructions we'd love for you to do once our live broadcast has gone off.
Thy mercy.